know he will enjoy that. I'm going to ask Mike Haynes, if he will, to lead us in prayer to begin our class this morning. Cecil's been leading us in a study of um, a couple of the Old Testament characters, uh, Elijah and Elisha. So I thought in in that same vein I would discuss with you today one of the more interesting and mysterious characters of the Old Testament, a man named Balaam. So if you want to turn in your Bibles to Numbers 22, we'll be reading from that in a few minutes. I remember when I studied prophets under Rex Turner Sr., he had a, 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 a name for all of the prophets. Uh, Amos, the country preacher. Isaiah, the, mes, uh, the uh, metropolitan preacher. And so on. A, a, a title or name for all of the prophets. So, when I think of Balaam, I think of Balaam the prophet for hire. And uh, if you're familiar with his story, you'll understand that and, and hopefully understand even more after we've looked at it this morning. We have to keep in mind now that when we, the things we study this morning about Balaam seem somewhat strange and, and as I said, somewhat mysterious and it's hard to get a handle really on it at times. But we must remember that this was not this man was not an Israelite. This man was not of the uh, family of, of Abraham. And so that would explain, as we'll talk about some as we move along. Uh, Balaam is, was said is, was the son of Beor from a, a Mesopotamian town called Pethor. And this town was located on the river Euphrates. Balaam appears to be a man possessing the gift of prophecy, or at least one who exercised such a gift uh, on the occasions that are recorded in the texts that we'll be studying this morning. He's not called, interestingly, He's not called a prophet anywhere in the Old Testament. But he is referred to in 2 Peter 2 and verse 16 as a prophet. Joshua chapter 13 and verse 22 uses the term soothsayer to refer to Balaam. And this is not surprising uh, because his hometown, was a uh, was famous. Pethor uh, was a place that was famous for for soothsayers. It was said to be 
uh, a headquarters, kind of, of Oriental uh, Magi. And so it, it's not surprising that, that we would uh, hear or see him uh, referred to in this way in, in the Old Testament Scriptures. But he was a man who had learned some of the elements of pure and true religion in his home there in the east. And remember now, his home was the home cradle for the ancestors uh, of, of Israel. Though dwelling among idolaters, he had gained some knowledge of the true God. Ba- Balaam knew the Lord to some degree. He knew the Yahweh of the Israelites. But this knowledge that he had certainly was dimmed and was corrupted. Um, this a little too loud? I keep moving it down. I don't want to blow you away. Is that, is that okay? All right. Maybe too low? <laughs> um, he knew enough about God to obey Him. But he was not of a pure heart. For a long time, he hoped to win God over to his own selfish plans, as we'll see when we read through this, through this story. Um, through the sacrifices that he offered that we we'll read about in the 23rd chapter, um, these sacrifices were apparently associated with, to some degree, with heathen worship. He expected to influence God's actions. And uh, though prophesying in the name of the true God, even before the ambassadors from Balak, Balak came to him, if indeed he had prophesied before they came to him, because we cannot be sure that he did. Uh, but if, he, if that had occurred, prophecy was nonetheless to him more of a business than it was uh, a religion. Um, But he had some reputation, whether it was because of his prophecies in the name of God prior to Balak uh, coming to him, or whether it was uh, his soothsaying and his incantations associated with that, you know, that had given him a name, somewhat like the, the, uh, the guy that we read about in, in Acts chapter 8, you know, Simon the sorcerer, who had had a great name for himself because of his, uh, because of his reputation. And so, but this is some, these are some of the things that we, uh, we can gather about this man named Balaam. He did, though, have a reputation. He's presented to us as we're first introduced to him as a man who possessed great personal uh, power. And so the summons, and I'm kind of reviewing for you the story in advance for two reasons. Hopefully it'll help us to appreciate it more as we read through it in a few minutes. But in case the bell gets us, you'll at least get something of the whole whole story. Uh, so when Balak summoned him, uh, it, this summons that he received from Balak 
proved to be a crisis in his life, in his career, a test that he failed. When the gold and the honors that Balak offered were finally lost, he became reckless and desperate, and almost as if in defiance, he counseled the Moabites to employ an evil strategy by which he accomplished indirectly the ruin of God's people which had been withheld from him uh, in the, the means that he first tried when he, was, when he had tried to curse them but was not permitted to curse them but bless them instead. So in doing this, uh, Balaam, like Judas, set in motion the, a train of events that eventually led to his own um, destruction. Um, his reputation was such that when the Israelites were encamped on the plains of Moab, east of the Jordan, and uh, east of Jericho, Jericho, uh, Balak, the king of Moab, sent for Balaam. It seems that the Moabites and the Midianites had uh, formed some kind of alliance And at the instigation of Balak, elders from the two nations were sent to Balaam to induce him to to, uh, pronounce a curse on the people of Israel. And they sought to do this by means of a bribe. So when they first approached him in, in, in compliance with the word of God, he told them that he could not do it, he could not go with them. However, a second request was made more messengers were sent, higher-ranking messengers offering better uh, and more alluring rewards. And uh, this time, uh, not only did God permit Balaam to go, but he actually commanded him to go. We'll look into that. There's, there's more there than, 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 than meets the eye at first. But he told him, that when you go, you must do only what I say. And uh, while on his way to Balak, these instructions were strongly impressed on Balaam's mind by uh, strange behavior of his donkey and then uh, by his encounter with uh, the angel of the Lord. And so the next morning, Balak, who had gone out to meet Balaam, accompanied the prophet Balaam to the higher places of Baal, and, uh, which offered a view of the encampment of the Israelites, which must have been some, some sight to see. You remember from earlier chapters in Numbers, they had encamped in, in quarters in four parts, so to speak, and we're talking about several millions of people. Can you just imagine... Uh, the, the sight of that, uh, beholding that. And anyway, uh, but instead of cursing them, as you perhaps know, he pronounced a blessing. From there, he was taken to the top of Peor. And uh, hopefully this change of location would enable him to, to do what Balak wanted him to do, but it didn't work. In fact, his spirit soared to even greater heights in pronouncing words of praise and admiration and benediction um, and glorious prophecies concerning the children of Israel. And so this finally convinced Balak that uh, 
further efforts to induce him to do what he wanted would be uh, fruitless, and so they parted, the two of them parted. And nothing else is said about him in Numbers until you get to the 31st chapter of Numbers, where in verse 8 we read about his uh, violent death at the hands of the Israelites. And then in 16 we learn of of this shameful counsel that he gave to the Moabites, which brought disgrace and disaster upon the ranks of the Israelites. So where he could not accomplish their defeat by cursing them, he accomplished it eventually by advising a tactic that, they, that did bring about their destruction in the end. Now, let's turn now to the book of Numbers, chapter 22, and let's read some and get more detail on what we've outlined here in the beginning. Numbers 22 and verse 1. Then the people of Israel set out and camped in the plains of Moab beyond the Jordan at Jericho. And Balak, the son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites. And Moab was in great dread of the people because they were many, and Moab uh, was overcome with fear of the people of Israel. And Moab said to the elders of Midian, This horde will now lick up all that is around us as the ox licks up the grass of the field. So Balak, the son of Zippor, who was king of Moab at the time, and there's some evidence that he was a Midianite who had usurped the leadership of, uh, of, of Moab, but sent messengers to Balaam, the son of Beor of Pethor, which is near the river in the land of the people of Ammah, to call him, saying, Behold, a people has come out of Egypt. They cover the face of the earth. They are dwelling opposite me. Come now, curse this people for me, since they are uh, too mighty for me. Perhaps I shall be able to defeat them and drive them from the land, for I know that that he whom you bless is blessed, and he whom you curse is cursed. So he had a reputation. How he arrived at that reputation is somewhat mysterious to me. Had he Uh, as we said earlier. But anyway, he had this reputation. So the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with the fees of divination in their hand, and they came to Balaam Balaam and gave uh, Balak's message. And he said to them, Lodge here tonight, and I will bring back word to you as the Lord speaks to me. So the princes of Moab stayed with Balaam. And God came to Balaam and said, Who are these people, who are these men with you? And Balaam said to God, Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, has sent to me, saying, Behold, a people has come out of Egypt, and it covers the face of the earth. Now come, curse them for me. Perhaps I shall be able to fight against them and drive them out. God said to Balaam, You shall not go with them. You shall not curse the people, for they are blessed. So Balaam rose in the morning, and he said to the princes of Balak, Go to your own land, for the Lord has refused to let me go with you. So the princes of Moab <clears throat> arose and went back to Balak and said, Balaam refuses to come with us. Now so far, so good. 
They came and made the request. God plainly said, you can't go. You shall not go with them. They went back and reported this to to Balak. I don't know whether there was something in his answer, something in the tone of his voice, or what. But maybe there was something that suggested that he could be bought. Or maybe there was not. Maybe Balak just knew human nature and thought it would be worth a try. So once again, Balak sent princes... Uh, more in number and more honorable than these. And they came to Balaam and said to him, Thus says Balak, the son of Zippor, Let nothing hinder you from coming to me, for I will surely do great honor, and whatever you say to me, I will do. In other words, name your price. You can just name your price. If you'll come and do what I want you to do, whatever you say, I will do. Come curse this people for me. Balaam answered and said to the servants of Balak, Though Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not go beyond the command of the Lord my God to do less or more. Man, that's good, isn't it? Bravo, Balaam. Stand firm, fella. Did he mean it? You know, a lot of people talk a good religion but the way they live or what they do is altogether something. So, so he said, um, so you too, in other words, like the former group had stayed with me over the night, you too, uh, please stay here tonight that I may know what more the Lord will say to me. Hmm. Chip in the armor, isn't it? Are you familiar with the country singer Lori Morgan? She had a, a hit a number of years ago entitled, What Part of No Don't You Understand? <laughs> what part of no don't you understand? Well, what part of no didn't Balaam understand? The very fact that he asked them to stay with him again that night, that he would go to the Lord, see what more he had to say, shows that Balaam did not have a true spirit of obedience, but that he wanted to do what he wanted to do, and he was hoping that there'd be some way. But he knew enough about God that he just didn't quite have the nerve or wasn't quite able to totally break loose and just do what he wanted to do on his own. So, I'll see what more the Lord has to say. Well, what do you think the Lord said? And God came to Balaam at night and said to him, if these men have come to call you, rise, go with them, but only do what I tell you. Does this mean God changed his mind about it? Was he happy with Balaam's going or wanting to go? Look at the next verse. So Balaam rose in the morning and saddled his donkey and went with the princes of Moab and God's anger was kindled against him. So Balaam is 
not now the faithful servant, the true prophet, who willingly and um, joyously wants to speak the words of God. But he's now one whom God is using to accomplish his will. So Balaam rose in the morning and saddled his donkey and went in, went with the princes of Moab and God's anger was kindled because he went in the angel of the Lord. Perhaps this, is, perhaps this is the same angel that led them through the wilderness, you remember. And the angel of the Lord, uh, where am I? Took his stand in the way of his adversary. Now he was riding on the donkey and his two servants were with him. The donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand. And the donkey turned aside from the road (coughs) and went into the field. And Balaam struck the donkey to turn her into the road. You can see the progression of his trip in these verses. At first he's in the field or or on a road, you know, near just open fields. And the donkey at first just turns out of the way and goes out into the field. And he whops him with his... uh... And the angel of the Lord stood in a a narrow path between the vineyards with a wall on either side. He's apparently approaching his destination, the city. And the paths are becoming more restricted. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pushed against the, the wall and pressed Balaam's foot against the wall. So he struck her again. The angel of the Lord went ahead and stood in a narrow place. It's even more narrow. Where there was no way to turn either to the right or to the left. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam and Balaam's anger was kindled and he struck the donkey with his staff. Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey and she said to Balaam, What have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? Balaam said to the donkey, Because you have made a fool of me. Balaam had made a fool of himself. But you've made a fool of me. I wish I had a sword in my hand, for then I would kill you. And the donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your donkey on which you have ridden all of your life long to this day? Is it my habit to treat you this way? And he said, no. Then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand, and he bowed down and fell on his face. The angel of the Lord said to him, Why have you struck your donkey? These three times, behold, I have come out to oppose you because your way is perverse before me. The donkey saw me and turned aside before me these three times. If she had not turned aside from me, surely just now I would have killed you and I would have let her live. You know, it's amazing that Balaam would be so headstrong on doing what he wanted to do, on securing those rewards 
obtaining that prestige that would come to him by uh, uh, helping that nation uh, win their battle over the Israelites. Uh, the, th- the, th- the things that happened with regard to his donkey, the donkey speaking to him, and then his eyes opened so that he could see the angel and see that he had, the donkey had kept him from death. And you think, well, surely now he's going, he's going to start thinking right, and he's going to become a true and faithful spokesman for God, and, but he's not through. He still wants to accomplish his own will. Um, Then Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned. It reminds me of Saul, King Saul. I don't think anybody in the Old Testament said, I have sinned more than Saul did. But did he mean it? I have sinned. For I did not know that you stood in the road against me. Now therefore, if it is evil in your sight, I will turn back. The angel of the Lord said to Balaam, Go with the men, speak only the word that I tell you. So Balaam went on with the princes of Balak. So it's not permission now, it's a command. He's, he's, He's in the hands of God now doing God's work. Not willingly, but he's going to do what God wants him to do. Um, when Balak heard that Balaam had come, he went out to meet him at the city of Moab on the border formed by Arnon at the extremity of the border. And Balak said to Balaam, Did I not send to you to call you? Why did you not come to me? Am I not able to honor you? And Balaam said to Balak, Behold, I have come to you. Have I now any power of my own to speak anything? The word that God puts in my mouth, that must I speak. Then Balaam went with Balak, and they came to Kiriath Husath. And Balak uh, sacrificed oxen and sheep, and sent for Balaam and for the princes who were with him. And in the morning, Balak took uh, Balaam and brought him up to the Bomoth or Bamoth, Baal, that, that means the high places of Baal. And from there he saw a fraction of the people. He, he could see not the entire camp, but he could see a good portion of the camp. And Balaam said to Balak, Build for me here seven altars. <clears throat> Prepare for me seven bulls and seven rams. Balak did as Balaam had said, and Balak and Balaam offered on each altar a bull and a ram. And Balaam said to Balak, Stand beside your burnt offering, and I will go, and perhaps the Lord will come to me to meet me, and whatever he shows me, I will tell you. And he went to a bare height. It seems that he's still operating more in the, in the um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, in the way of a soothsayer, and a probably whatever the Lord shows me. It seems like maybe he's thinking about, as soothsayers would do, they would see something. They would look for some indication, you know, in the planets or in the stars or the actions of some animals or something that they would interpret to mean 
thus and so. And so whatever God reveals to me or shows me, he says, I will, uh, I will tell you. And God met Balaam. And Balaam said to him, I have arranged the seven altars and I have offered on each uh, altar a bull and a ram. As if he's hoping that this offering will appease God and, and will somehow conjole him to give in, to let him do what he wants to do, and that is to curse the children of Israel. And the Lord put a word in Balaam's mouth and said, Return to Balak, and thus you shall speak. And he returned to him, and behold, he and all the princes of Moab were standing beside the burnt offering. And Balaam took up his discourse and said, From, uh, from Aram, Balak has brought me, the king of Moab from the eastern mountains. Come curse Jacob for me, and come denounce Israel. How can I curse whom God has not cursed? <clears throat> How can I denounce whom the Lord has not denounced? For from the top of the crags I see him, from the hills I behold him. Behold a people dwelling alone, alone and not counting itself among the nations. Who can count the dust of Jacob or number the fourth part of Israel? This refers to that, the way they count, you know, in, in uh, fourth, in, in sections of a quarter of the people, if I'm making sense. And... Uh, great numbers of people. And again, it must have been quiet a dis... Uh, uh, the words are not coming to me. The disquieting feeling that the Moabites and Midianites would have as they looked out over this, this encampment, this huge uh, 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 group of people. And Balak said to Balaam, What have you done to me? I took you to curse my enemies, and behold, you have done nothing but bless them. And he answered and said, Must I not take care to speak what the Lord puts in my mouth? <coughs> Again, all through here, there are words that Balaam says that sound good, <laughs> that sound right. But you've got to understand that through it all, he's still intent on trying to find a way to do what he wants to do. Balak said to him, Please come with me to another place from which you may see them. You shall see only a fraction of them and shall not see them all. Then curse them for me from, from, uh, from there. And he took him to the field of Sophim, to the top of Pisgah, and built seven altars and offered a bull and a ram on each offering. And Balaam, Balaam said to Balak, Stand here beside your burnt offering while I meet with the Lord. And the Lord met Balaam and put a word in his mouth and said, Return to Balak, and thus shall you speak. And he came to him, and behold, he was standing beside his burnt offering, the princes of Moab with him. And Balak said, What has the Lord spoken? And Balaam took up his discourse and said, Rise, Balak, and hear, give ear to me, O son of Zippor. God is not man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. As he said... <clears throat> he will, uh, as he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? Behold, I received a command to bless. He has blessed, and I cannot revoke it. He has not beheld misfortune from Jacob, nor has he seen trouble in, in Israel. The Lord, uh, their God, is with them, and the shadow of a king is among them. 
God brings them out of Egypt and is for them like the horns of a wild ox. For there is no enchantment against Jacob, no divination against Israel. Now now it shall be said of Jacob and Israel, what has God wrought? Behold a people as a lioness. And he goes on blessing them. We're going to run out of time. And Balak said to Balaam, Do not curse them at all, and do not bless them at all. And Balaam answered Balak, Did I not tell you all that the Lord says that I must do? And Balak said to Balaam, Come now, and I'll take you to another place. Perhaps it will please God that you may curse them for me from there. So Balak took Balaam to the top of Peor and overlooks, uh, that overlooks the desert. And Balaam said to Balak, Build for me, and you're familiar with that, doing that again. And Balak did as Balaam said, offered a bull and a ram on each one. And when Balaam saw, verse chapter 24, when Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord, what time is it? Ooh. When it pleased the Lord to bless Israel, uh, he did not go as at other times to the omens, but set his face toward the, the wilderness. At least, at least he's seeing now that God is going to have his way. And he's, I think, about convinced that he's not going to be able to get God to change his mind and, and let him. And this, this passage here that says that he did not go as at other times to look for omens. He's, to a point at least, given in to his doing what the Lord wants him to do. So he lifts up his eyes and he saw Israel camping tribe by tribe and the Spirit of God came upon him and he again uh, uh, blesses them in the words that follow. And uh, um, verse 12, Balaam said to um, verse 11, Therefore now flee to your own place. Well, verse 10. Balak's anger was kindled against Balaam, and he struck his hands together. And Balak said to Balaam, I called you to curse my enemies, and behold, you have blessed them these three times. Therefore, now flee to your own place. Uh, I will certainly honor you, but the Lord has held back from honor. And Balaam said to Balak, Did I not tell you your messengers who came to me, that if they offered silver and gold, we've read that. Um, And now, verse 14, Behold, I am going to my people, come, and I will let you know what this people will do to your people. This is, is, I think, an indication that he's, he he realizes he's not going to be able to uh, curse the people, and so he, he turns now and, and, he, and he begins to think about other ways to accomplish. And, and so he says, uh, uh, I will let you know what, these, what this people will do to your people in latter days. And, and perhaps out of this came the, uh, the advice that... Uh, and what was, what was that advice? Let's, let's look to that a minute. Um, as, we, as we wrap this up. Um, after all of his efforts to um, conjole God and to convince God to allow him to do what he wanted to do, curse the people, um, 
he for a time became, as it were, God's prophet. He yielded to the, influ- the, the better influences of his spirit, and particularly that third blessing or, or, or parable or whatever you want to call it was, was very much uh, glowing in regard to the future of uh, Israelite. But it seems to me that we mentioned a while ago that it was a, it was a test. It was a, a time in his life when he had an, he, he, he had a chance for his better nature to assert itself at that particular time on that occasion. But did he take advantage of that, of that opportunity? Well, the sad truth is he did not. And as I said earlier, there are only two other mentions of him in the Old Testament, and, or rather in, in the book of Numbers. Chapter 31 in verse 8 says that he was killed uh, by the Israelites along with five kings of Midian. Of Midian. And then in verse 16, this, this is said, Behold these, that is the Moabites and the Midianites, these on Balaam's advice caused the people of Israel to act treacherously against the Lord in the incident of Peor, and so the plague came among the congregation of the Lord. So Balaam, who had predicted a magnificent future for the children of Israel, uh, he had been called to curse them, but instead he blessed them. But he nevertheless suggested to the Moabites a strategy that, that ultimately uh, led to their uh, destruction. And uh, this, was, this is talked about in length in the, 20, in the 25th chapter. Just what was that strategy? Well, there are two New Testament passages that, that make reference to it. I said earlier that Balaam is mentioned in 2 Peter 2, verses 15 and 16, and here's what they say. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed, accursed children. Forsaken the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his uh, own transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. This is uh, Peter's reference to Balaam. And uh, it's... uh, Then in the book of Revelation, chapter 2 and verse 14, Jesus said to the church at Pergamon, You have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, so that they might eat food, sacrifice to idols, and practice sexual immorality. (coughs) And so what... Balaam had not been able to accomplish in cursing the people or in wanting to curse them. He now eventually accomplishes 
through this advice, this strategy that he gave them. And it worked. The 25th chapter of Numbers describes the result of that. They, they turned to Baal, and, uh, and, and, and Cecil had been talking some about, about this, you know. They turned to Baal and, and, and would continue to be involved with idolatrous worship until they, the, the remnant returned from Babylon. And they uh, intermarried with these foreign women and, and, and became guilty of uh, fornication and the like. And, and these things corrupted the, the uh, children of Israel and brought about great problems. But this is the story of Balaam in the Old Testament. Any questions or comments that you might have before? One of the things that this does, it does help us to see that so much of the scriptures is confined to God's dealing with the people of Israel. <clears throat> with, uh, for, you know, Abraham and then the, 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 his ancestry and out of which came Christ. And, and that's the reason this is followed because it's following ultimately the lineage of Christ. But we don't need to we forget that God didn't just dismiss the other people of the world. He had dealings with them. Uh, perhaps that we don't know, but there are certain indications. Uh, Melchizedek would, would, be, would be one. Balaam would be a, another example here in the Old Testament. Um, instances when God reached out, as it were, or, 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 or touched people that were outside the race of Israel. Any thoughts or questions you may have before the second Baal? Well, <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> Why was he not surprised that a donkey talked to him? Um, uh, you, you know, they, uh, you read different commentaries and, and Different commentators will try to explain it in different ways. Some suggest that he, he, that he may not have spoken with actual human language. He made some noise that's common to, to that beast and that, and that uh, 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 what Balaam heard, you know, he interpreted that. So I, I don't get into that. I just, to me, it's just, I just want to just say what the scriptures say. And that you're, if you'll notice, Peter uh, pretty directly says that God caused the, the uh, donkey to speak with human voice. Isn't that what he said? So that's, that's, that's pretty well it for me. But I don't know why he wasn't surprised. But, uh, you know, when we're bent on our own way, sometimes we do rush headlong. Maybe not... Uh, bypass the talking beast, but we, we do some crazy things and overlook road signs. Any other questions or comments? Well, that's true. Maybe he was surprised. But just stop thinking. Look, think what God has done to keep people from being lost. Most of all, he's, he, he put his own son in front of us on the cross. And when, if, if we're lost, it'll be because we've just run roughshod, as it were, over the dying Son of God. But people will do it. Interesting story. Maybe you want to follow up with your own study. Thank you very much. Cecil will be back next Sunday, we hope.